0: Oh, what
1: a day! What a lovely day! Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, friends and listeners, and welcome to the second episode of the Skill and Bones radio podcast, a show about games and geek culture coming to you from the wet coast of Bellingham, Washington. My name is Bradley Lines, and I'm both a wandering kitsch merchant servicing the post-apocalyptic earth with cassette tapes and children's toys to serve as the pagan idols of your cargo cults, and one of a trio of hosts speaking to you today. Sitting to my right is Lauren Tinsley, Lord Lauren Tinsley, the warrior of pastoral farming board games, the Ayatollah of Agricola, Lauren. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Brad Lyons.
1: And across from me is the man once voted most likely to become an actual feral child striking from his spider holes beneath your very feet, Mr. Kevin Seacack. Kevin, hello.
2: Hey, fellas.
1: And between these two, I have placed a frozen fruit juice and sugar mixture served as a dessert or between courses of a meal to cleanse the palate and our very first guest, Aaron Sherbert Miller. Sherbert, how are you today?
3: Good, thanks for having me.
1: We'll be getting into the main topics of today's episode, which are the Mad Max universe and vehicular combat games in just a couple of minutes. But first, I want to take the opportunity to say thank you to all the people who listened and gave us feedback on our first episode. It was very nice to hear that you enjoyed what we were laying down, and over the coming months, those of you who don't already know us will get to know our gaming tastes. But to kickstart that process a little bit, I thought we might start off today by asking each other a couple of questions. And so, to start that, Sherbert. Hi. Hi. I was wondering, you do a lot of the modeling and the terrain work for our store, for our local store. And my question was, when did you get started on that? I think looking around the room here that we're probably all lifelong gamers
3: in some form or another. But when did you actually start building and making things? Building and making things came from when I first started in the hobby, uh, which is also where my nickname came from the first army that I ever did was, uh, Imperial Guard Army, and I opened a White Dwarf and saw Eldar, and I thought, why can't Imperial Guard be really colorful as well? Well, there's a second edition Eldar, the really bright, popping yeah, color kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, 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 <laughs> Um, and so from there, I just kind of, I quickly picked up on the modeling aspects, and then I've been building terrain for our shop for maybe about three years now. It started as just kind of, uh, I want to help out the shop because I realized a lot of our terrain was kind of, uh, hodgepodge of donations and stuff that the owner had built and uh, i wanted to improve upon that because i felt like every other aspect of our shop was above the standard so i wanted to do my part you got quite a little setup back there yeah, over the last couple of years, it's kind of evolved into, like, my own little workroom, which some of you guys love to refer to as my, my work hovel. Um, <laughs> <or the dungeon. laughs> get back in or the, the Yeah, get back <laughs> in the dungeon. Total yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and unfortunately, because I'm a student, when I can do work is kind of, Hit and miss so sometimes there's spurts of finishing projects and stuff yeah. like that yeah.
2: i just want to speak to the quality of what you produce for those that don't get a chance to make it down to dark tower it's artisan level terrain there thank is you. no aspect or detail that goes unlooked on your train i am in awe yeah i think it easily rivals if not surpasses anything i've seen in any white dwarf thank you i appreciate that.
1: the fact that you're
3: building some of that stuff literally block by block is <laughs> is pretty cool. yeah like the
1: hearst the hearst uh, molds type yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
3: yeah for people who aren't familiar hearst art molds are a mold company that do some really fantastic stuff so i highly suggest looking into that and we're gonna we'll we'll take some pictures of both the warland stuff which we'll be talking about in in the third segment here today,
1: and some of your other terrain, and we'll put it up in the show notes on the SkillAndBonesRadio.com, which we
2: now have. <laughs> also, I'd say that your skills aren't just limited to your uh, the terrain that you produce. I've seen your armies. Mm. You bring a lot of that into your armies, especially the painting and the modeling. It's lovely. Uh, every Thank time you. I played a game against you, it's been wonderful to lose to you because it's so <laughs> that's a, that's a lovely defeat. So I have a question for Brad. Oh. You are a man of many games. I've oh, yes. About you. What is your favorite platform? Is it tabletop? Is it is it handheld? Is it...
1: Uh, gosh, phone? okay, so... Um...
2: Yeah. My, what was that?
4: Board games.
1: Yeah, well, okay. I My, my tastes kind of vacillate between uh, video games and uh, tabletop games. And I have been going through like a real dry spell when it comes to the tabletop games. I mean, I play a lot of board games still. That's also where I am right now. But in terms of the miniature gaming and that kind of stuff, I haven't been hobbying a ton for maybe two years now. And that's mostly because I've just gone back to video games. And so I've been playing uh, a ton of video games both console and handheld. I don't actually have a working PC at the moment, and I haven't had one that has been, you know, games capable for probably going on about a decade now. And so, I mean, I I run Macs, and Macs are not for games. And (laughs) despite the fact they actually do have quite a few of uh, cross build stuff on steam now so os x does get some love there but not a ton and it makes it makes my laptop burn like the sun so um <laughs> graphics yeah it's not uh, it's not the hottest stuff so i do a lot of nintendo gaming for the most part <laughs> when it comes to console gaming that's actually my console of choice uh is to play the nintendo stuff partly because i have the kids around and it makes things a whole lot easier f- to uh, play smash brothers than it is to play any other fighting games that are out there that sort of thing but uh, we U has been really good to me, and I like it a lot. I, I can't
2: play it Fallout Four for most of the day. Exactly, you know. And I, I
1: by the end of the day, I you know want to crawl into my into this little cave here and stare at a screen and play some Fallout Four, but I just can't bring myself to. By the uh, end of the evening. Yeah. Beyond that, it's all board games, board games, board games, and now playing uh, Warlands, of course, uh, every week, as we will get into. I had a follow
4: up sort
3: of question. Oh no.
4: <laughs> 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 Now that you don't have the time for uh, for tabletop games like you used to, I'm wondering how just how many 40k armies are stashed away in this house, in the cabinet like that cabinet behind or you?
1: Um, there's or a, elsewhere? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that you can see, there's some bags of models stacked up at the end of the table here. Uh, that counts for let's see, probably two armies, three armies right there. There's at least another Space Marine army in the cabinet behind you. A couple of Eldar armies, a Chaos army, I believe, <laughs> still exists. Here somewhere. Yes. The honest truth is I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've seriously downscaled. I sold off I sold off in the neighborhood of about seven armies last year, and then turned that around into uh, some terrain and a couple of other things that I'm also not getting much use of. So, how many armies
2: did you pick up in the meantime?
1: Um, none. I haven't bought. I have not bought. I, I can. I'm clean. I'm clean. <laughs> I am absolutely clean. I mean, I could turn at you any. Can't sec- see
2: the blush, home, I, home audience. You can't see I, the blush. I could,
1: admittedly, at any moment I could turn. Feed my black heart. <laughs> But but I have not bought a 40k army for a very long time now. But I haven't played 40k for a very long time now, so that
4: is good. It's too bad I tried to tempt you with another army I'm getting rid of. But I'm down to just one. So. Yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Sherbert tried to sell me his too. Yeah, I
4: sell like, like, <laughs> four that I need to get
1: rid of. So. Kind of like this go-to guy. This yeah. <laughs> go-to guy of hey, what do you want to get? What do you want to get today? What do you want to buy today? <laughs> yeah. Just to a way too Tensed. tempting. Yeah. <laughs> So, Kevin, turning it back on you then, um, I'm not going to ask you about your 40K stuff, but what is your gaming-related, what is your guiltiest pleasure when it comes to
4: playing games? My guiltiest pleasure. Guiltiest pleasure. Maybe 40K is the right answer. (laughs) (laughs) Because as, as much as I've complained about Games Workshop and claimed to not care about that game at all, when I actually get convinced to play the game, I do actually still enjoy it, taking it for what it is as a complete unbalanced, bonkers game. If yeah. you go into it with that approach, it's uh, it could be a little fun as a one-off game, but certainly not something I want to follow closely or, you know, depend emotionally on. <laughs> as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm damaged goods. But you still go back to it from time to time? I do. Mm. When was the last time you played? Uh, about a month ago. Oh, okay. I played a, a hot, steamy Eldar, Dark Eldar on Eldar, Dark Eldar.
2: Uh, Oh, that was against Jim. Yeah, a lot of dancing, a lot of discs, lots of darts. I have my follow-up question for you, Mr. Kevin. What three IPs are you most excited to play with or would like to see?
4: Oh, three? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, first and foremost is Star Wars. Big fan of X-Wing, big fan of Armada. That new board game they've got? Rebellion. Yes, Rebellion. Okay. That's out in May. Yeah, yeah, no. I haven't followed the previews for it, but just the first preview that I saw for it already got me interested. Yeah, So we'll see where it goes. but Yeah, it looks good. So that's totally. number one. I don't know that there's much more as far as a, a two or a three there. Um, I don't have a ton of time in my life for games right now, and so I just kind of stick to a select few. I mean, obviously the the Warhammer uh, intellectual property always good, and it's been around for a long time. Two. Really rich, a lot of history. But it's it's just hard to follow uh, and be passionate about these days. Do you play a lot of video games at home? No, I, I, my computer died not this September, but the September before. Oh, wow. I just haven't put aside the money to buy another computer. let yeah. yeah. use a tablet, and then I'm a generation behind on all the consoles. So. Well, a tablet, you know, I mean, there's plenty of games on there. Oh, I, I try, but you start playing it, and then before you know, it's a, it's a pay-to-play yeah, thing. Yeah, and so trying to fi- avoid those games is tough. Diamonds in the rough. Fair enough.
2: Uh, with all the uh, new Marvel Universe movies, would you like to see a Marvel IP developed for Tabletop? Maybe. I mean,
4: I'd be willing to play it for sure if that, you know, when that comes out, but. It's not something that I'm like
3: super excited about. Didn't HeroClix have some sort of yeah? Batman HeroClix that? did
1: a Marvel thing for a little while, and there's a couple of other uh, Marvel properties out there that got uh, some card-based games
4: at uh, Legendary or whatever. There's a um, there's uh, a miniatures game too. They yeah. the guys did a mm-hmm. Batman game previously, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a on, gang fighting, and that, yeah. that Joey was telling me about. Yeah, and they're so, and yeah. they're
1: working on more Marvel miniatures for that, uh, or for a similar system. Yeah, doing a separate yeah. game for that. I, that might actually
2: have more legs than the Batman game did. I don't know. I, yeah. Aaron, mm. why does your beard make you look like a grandpa, and yet mine makes me look like a junior college IT dropout? Uh, you just <laughs> have to believe it. in it. Yeah. Oh. A bit more. This is yeah. purely faith. Yeah. Oh my. God. Well, I it's, actually, it's, it's, it's funny that I, you, I believe in your beard too. I do. <laughs> yeah.
3: No, it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually had like what I hope isn't a premonition dream last week, where I woke up and uh, in the dream I. Uh, I, like, looked in the mirror, and I didn't have a beard anymore, and the first thing I did is, like, when I woke up, I was in a cold sweat, and I had to, like, touch it to make sure, (laughs) like, nothing had happened to it, so hopefully my faith might be dwindling in it, but I'm going to stay true.
4: Lauren, I've always known you as a uh, competitive gamer. Uh, That's a side that you seem to come from. What? So what is it? Well, I mean, obviously there's a lot more to it than that, but... I know that you value the uh, the competitive side of gaming. I do. What is it specifically about that beyond the, just the chance to play, uh, you know, your
2: favorite games multiple times a day? What is it you like about the competitive play? I think that gaming and specifically competitive gaming is one of the most civilized things that humankind can do. Humanity is conflict ridden. We are. That's what we are. But when we can do it and sit down together with the intent of whopping the crap out of each other, but still look across the table and celebrate the highs and lows of, of what's going on on the table, I think that's the nobility of humanity, where we can, we can sit down and not only it's, it's it's artificial conflict absolutely and we're doing it for amusement absolutely but it also parallels i think some of the things that are wrong with humanity i think it would be great if we could settle some of our other conflicts as as simple as, as a board game i think that would <laughs> gonna get a little careberry here it would fill my heart with joy it really <laughs> would <laughs> care bear <laughs> So that's what I like about competitiveness. I I did lose myself down that path a little too deeply and I've since come back a bit and I've enjoyed gaming even more since then. Um, I found a lot more uh, grace for myself and all that. Yeah, it's a lot more fun to play where when you don't really give a shit. When you win. Right. I, I, that's what I've yeah. found. And you yeah. are not
1: really giving a shit incarnate, Brad. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I like to win. I enjoy
1: winning, and I enjoy figuring out the systems of a game that allow me to win. But when it comes down to it, I also like it when the other guy wins, too. You know, so yeah. there you go. I think
2: Brad likes pulling off gambits. I've seen him play yeah. net. Net what's Netrunner? That? Netrunner, yes. And I've seen him play a, a pretty heated game or two of Netrunner where both him and his opponent really wanted to win. And it was an intense thing, so he's not always happy. Right yeah, well, <laughs> I was
1: probably cheating that entire time. As a time as <laughs> that the that That's the best way to win. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you know what? That's, I think, pretty good for the first round here. And what we should probably do is take a break. And when we come back here, talk about our first main topic today, which is the Mad Max movie. WorldSmithIndustries.com, originally created after a couple of successful Kickstarters. They're makers of terrain resin for tabletop wargaming. Current offerings include a variety of walls, water features, and some scatter terrain. The area terrain system involves a number of area terrain bases into which you can plug things like trees and rocks and giant crystals. There are also blank bases that can be used to make custom inserts or just make some open space. You can mix and match. It's easy to make a variety of terrain types just by switching out inserts. Because it's resin, it's a lot more durable than a lot of scratch-built terrain. It's highly detailed and really easy to paint. Skill and Bones listeners can get 10% off their orders by entering the code Bones at checkout. Go to WorldSmithIndustries.com
2: Return my treasures to me, and I myself will carry you to the Gates of Valhalla. Let's go back, back to the original Gates of Valhalla, if you will, listeners. Let's go back to mad max if you guys are going to go back and watch this movie you must look at it through the lens of what is current in that era if you hold it up to fury road or anything that's been produced lately it's gonna not stand up so please once you go back to mad max look at look at the era before you critique
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and look at the uh, look at the crew who made it. Look at look at George Miller, who uh, was a emergency room doctor, and who dealt with uh, a number of his friends dying in accidents, road accidents, at the time in uh, in North Australia. North, I think it was North Australia, not South Australia. But he he knew uh, from his experiences what uh, what a lot of these road accidents looked like. And so when you start talking about the gory and violent makeup and special effects jobs that we saw in these movies, mm-hmm.
2: that was from his personal experience,
1: these were the kinds of things that he saw.
2: Also, to give Mad Max its due, it laid down a lot of tropes for the, for the rest of the movies. You had um, some odd behavior within the the gang. What
1: do you mean odd behavior?
2: Well, there's a couple. Members of that gang that uh, they were dancing in the street with each other. Yeah, that kind of I think that was the the kernel for some of the stuff that you see in Beyond Thunderdome, for some of the stuff you see in Road Warrior.
1: Yeah, there was kind of this sort. Of, it was it was sort of the the neo punk kind of thing yes, that you yeah. uh, would be seeing at the early '80s. Uh, Arise more but it was Compared to the kinds of things today I mean this looks Perfectly normal to us today to have to have Any kind of just strange behavior of course Not just because of Mad Max but there Were plenty of other movies at the time that were exhibiting That kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and I think the one thing that that renegade Gang there does is Sort of try and present This uh, counterculture image of just strange public behavior. Yes. Uh, Not just the violent public behavior that, that was sort of the trope, but the just sort of bizarre dress and behavior that was the counterculture. And compared to today... We don't have really a complete centralized culture no. to be to run a counterculture against. I mean, no matter where you want to go, given the internet, there is something that's going to cater to your weirdness, yeah. and so it's pretty easy to kind of fall into one of those holes and not have to see some sort of strange counterculture to what you're used to. And so it's a it's a different kind of kind of thing. I think then it was much more shocking to mm. uh, present these kinds of characters on the screen and uh, of that motorcycle gang of that particular gang there weren't any real psychopaths beyond toe cutter no, you the, know i mean wasn't. you look at the stuff that that is in the in the newer movies and there's crazies everywhere right? yeah. yeah and killers everywhere
2: absolutely but
1: in the original toe cutter was the guy that was yeah. it you know pushing the buttons yeah okay. pushing the buttons dropping the match his his second there what was his name i can't remember off the top of my head he didn't want to burn goose no. You know, he, he didn't he didn't want to set the cop on fire and it was Toe Cutter that grabs him says you're going to do this and throws the
4: literally throws the match out of his fingers onto the, onto the ground burning That's... the guy. But nobody else was crazy. Yeah. I think it just kind of shows the slow decline of the of the universe like cuz I grew up watching The Road Warrior. Mm-hmm. I'd seen that movie a bunch of times and I hadn't seen Mad Max and then when I finally did watch that, a few, only a few months ago, it was weird that there was still, like, some semblance of civilization, and it seemed like it was oh, going yeah. into a decline. Oh, yeah. Um, And I kind of liked that. Because most post-apocalyptic stories, there's some event, some single event, whether it's a nuclear war or whatever, and this is the world that that exists after that event and mm-hmm. how people are getting by. And this is just slowly sort of transitioned.
1: Well, had the beginning that. of the concept of oil wars and you had, right. the, which would begin with shortages. So you kind of have a slow boil as opposed right. to an immediate, you know, nuclear detonation or right. something like that, which, you know, coming out of or the seventies, it was p- a post nuclear war era, you know, right. post
2: Was that the first era of rationing? Cause I, I mean, not the first, or, or the last major era of ration. There was some rationing in the 70s, 80s, wasn't there? The gas. Gas rations, yeah. Sure. yeah. Maybe that was...
1: In the United States, I, I don't know exactly how much of that there was in Australia, but I can imagine that there were shortages as, as yeah. if there were anywhere else. My
2: favorite scene of, of that movie is the Hall of Justice. And they were like, and now we're going back to the police station. Hall of Justice. I love that.
1: <laughs> is it, was that the one that had the, kind of the iron gates with, the, with yep. w- like one letter crooked? Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that on a, on a shoestring budget, if you want to try and present things falling apart, just taking one letter on your on your Justice <laughs> right. <rise> and tilting it <laughs> <at> 45 degrees <laughs> yeah. to the right is uh, the best way to uh, to display dystopia. Yeah. On a movie where you've really got to spend all of your money on uh, on car crashes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's uh, there's there's one uh, blue van that's involved in that. That was actually uh, George Romero's van, and he just gave it up for the uh, gave yeah. it up for the stunt. Every every uh, car wreck that they had in there, every crash they had to do in a single take. Wow! Because they had no money, they had three hundred fifty thousand dollars to make this movie, and it turned around and won them a hundred million dollars.
3: There's a, in the final scene of the movie where Toe Carter gets run over by the semi-truck. Yeah. If you look really closely, the semi-truck actually has a piece of sheet metal on the yeah. front yeah. that has the front of the truck painted on it because the truck driver was worried about damages to the truck. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's like you would never notice it if you are just watching it. But if you pay really close attention, like it's very clearly not the front of the truck. It's Congratulations, the... nobody will ever be able to unsee that again.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I think Road Warrior, or excuse me, Mad Max, I think it does a good job setting up the series. I don't think anyone saw the, what it would turn into or the progression it would make from, because there's a big leap from Mad Max oh, yeah. to Road Warrior. That's, oh, huge. That's a huge leap, and you know, there's a huge leap from Road Warrior to Thunderdome as well.
1: Yeah, one thing is, since you were talking about the tropes that kind of were introduced by this movie and by other similar movies in the area, if like go watch uh, Death Race 2000, Mm. Um, a, another sort of uh, violent car-based movie, uh, starring uh, Sylvester Stallone and David Carradine wow. as Frankenstein, the hero driver. It was that that movie was more in the what you, we would think of as the Carmageddon vein, where okay. uh, the goal it was a road race. Uh, where points were awarded for running over pedestrians, you know, and different types of pedestrians, given uh, whether they were children or old people, were worth uh, different values of points. And so at one point uh, you see nurses at a hospital wheeling a whole bunch of old people out into the middle of the road so that because they know Frankenstein's coming down the road, and they want him to run over all these old people in order to score the highest on, on his race. <laughs> Frankenstein being a hero, and uh, David Carradine, decides instead to veer off to the side and run down the row of nurses. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in far as tropes are concerned, the idea of weaponized cars, which is kind of the main theme of this show today, Mad Max didn't have weaponized cars. Nope. And honestly, there aren't a ton of weaponized cars. Over the course of the series, a lot of what you get is like small arms being used by people that are in them. I mean, Fury Road's got its share of flamethrowers and harpoon guns and that kind of stuff. But when we talk about you know machine guns mounted on the front of your car, that's not something that's coming out of Mad Max. No, No. No,
2: Mad Max stayed true to the shortages. Yeah. Yeah. They going yeah, yeah,
1: they're, they're, that kind of stuff came more out of the spy movie culture. I mean, that was James Bond's stuff right yeah. there, to have yeah. machine guns and missiles mounted on your cars and fired out of the front of it, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, oil slicks and spiked wheels and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You had some stuff in Mad Max that would be like the technical, you know, the, tr- the pickup truck with the machine gun mounted in the back, that kind of stuff we would see, but the guns on cars just is not part of the Mad Max universe. Yeah,
4: You're correct. No, I, I liked uh, *In Fury Road* having that bullet farm. You know, mm-hmm. they had a shaky alliance of all these like sort of warlord groups to get by with like sort of the most basic economy. They had Gas Town, and they had to send over mother's milk and water to get to get gas. They had a shaky alliance with the bullet farmer.
1: Kevin, um, please, guzzling.
4: <laughs> guzzling, <laughs> my mistake. So bullets were a rare thing, and that guy was only able to you know sort of establish his place because he was the bullet farm. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and had his value that way. Who
1: was the third? Oh, the people eater was the guy. Yeah, I don't know from... what he
4: brought to the table.
1: Uh, accounting, <laughs> <laughs> advanced post-apocalyptic accounting. <laughs> he just he just kept track of everything
3: and the gout, and he also brought gout.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> elephant levels of gout. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: wasn't he the the commander of Gas Town? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, gas, I guess, would yeah. be the other. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Gas okay, away. I missed that.
2: For me, what I got out of watching all these movies is that maybe Mad Max wasn't a single person. That maybe he was a persona like zoro or Batman, like one person acting heroically out into the in the apocalyptic wasteland. You know, who helped me out? It was Mad Max. Yeah, and I have yeah, this. Yeah. I have this story to tell. And if you look at how the stories are all told, it's from one survivor. And Road Warrior, World War is the only one that tells it from Mad Max's perspective. And Road Warrior, it's the little uh, ape kid with the boomerang he's the survivor and beyond thunderdome it's um the leader of the female leader of the, the, children, the children tribe of children oh yeah, yeah yeah and in fury road it's told from the perspective of furiosa herself um, mm-hmm. uh, so that lends me to think that maybe mad max wasn't a single-edit um in interviews george miller has come out and said
3: that there's no timeline in the mad max universe so you know you could take it a step farther and say that he's admitting to the fact that mad max isn't the same character which is why they could easily go with a new actor I didn't know that, yeah you. for the new movie well
1: you know going with the new actor they the George Miller actually uh, repurchased the rights to Mad Max back in 1995 I mean we talk about how long this movie has been since Thunderdome you mm. know 30 years that they that they took to, to get this thing together and it wasn't because it falls into the same category as the other movies that we've been seeing recently that are all just revivals of old properties you know these kind of cash grabs he actually wanted to do this thing a a long time ago and in 1995 he was still looking at Mel Gibson who in 1995 had just finished Braveheart I mean that's prime Mel Gibson time right yeah, yeah. but this movie this uh, Fury Road was just a nightmare of production they had such a hard time putting this thing together and it fell to the side because of things like the Iraq war I mean they wanted to film this thing in Namibia and then suddenly the security situation got out of hand they couldn't do it anymore they wanted to then move it to New South Wales, and they were going to start filming there. I think it was in 2011 that they were going to start filming there. And there was these, this monsoon of rainstorms there that suddenly made the desert sprout up in all these little flowers all over the place, which did not look like the right background for a gigantic bloody chase across the desert. So they moved it back to Namibia and finished filming it there. But they had tons
2: of problems just putting this movie together. Every movie is, is unique to itself. There's no template for every movie. We're not. It's not in the vein of, like, The Batman Begins. It's not in the vein of Star Wars or anything else that we're known for for continuity of storyline.
1: Yeah, and it's not the same kind of reboot that yeah. we're looking at as the Batman movies, as the other superhero movies that we've yeah. seen a lot of, as the Star Wars movies, yeah. you know, I mean, it's not the same kind of...
2: Maybe more of a set of anthologies rather than a continuous series of books. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and the next yeah. one,
1: um, supposedly called uh, Mad Max Wasteland, and actually, apparently, is going to be a prequel, from what I understand. Uh, okay. <laughs> so there was uh, one actress who played one of the Vuvillinis, the, uh, the, the women warriors on the motor- motorcycles uh, in okay. uh, Fury Road. Yeah. And uh, she was doing an interview on television, and she said that uh, she'd read the script for the new movie, that it was a prequel, and uh, featured the history of Valkyrie, which was one of the Vuvillinis yeah. there, uh, as a child or something. So interacting with Mad Max, again, this, the sole survivor kind of thing, uh, who's going to tell the story. But apparently, prequel
2: yeah and thank you for clearing up what a Vuvellini is i had no idea i love all the names and terms (laughs) i know
4: that's one of the things that i think is really cool uh that it does seem to have like a really rich background but they don't waste any time like explaining it to you no because why would people that have been living in this reality for however long feel the need to explain to each other what's going on and so um, throughout the entire series there's they're really minimal on the dialogue. It seems like
1: it's a visual movie.
4: Yeah, they don't have a ton of, of backstory. The most they have is in Beyond Thunderdome. I think they have the uh, the Captain the, Walker
1: story. Yeah, yeah, the
4: Captain Walker story, and there's just a lot of there's a lot more narration in that one. But uh, it's a yeah. it's a
1: genuinely a, t- a talkier kind of movie. Uh, yeah, Beyond yes. Thunderdome is. Yeah,
4: it stays in one place
2: uh, for a lot longer. Yeah. I'd say the '80s infected that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah not like, for the better. That, so. yeah. the first,
3: the the pure two, strain '80s. Yeah, yeah, the first
4: two thirds look like a, like a hair metal music video, right? Yeah. Um, with Tina Turner. With <laughs> Tina Turner and her, yeah, it's all it's all and just, the Lost Boys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's all pretty crazy, but the end is cool. Is as reminiscent as it was of Fury Road, uh, mm-hmm. and I feel like Fury Road in a lot of ways was really born out of that final chase in sure. yeah. Thunderdome. Yeah. I did like the the train chase and. Shifting from the train to the plane and all can, that.
1: Can I just say that that I mean, well, as silly as <laughs>
4: uh,
1: Beyond Thunderdome is, it still launched some of the most iconic kind yes. of movie references that we would yes. be uh, used to. I mean, th- th- Thunderdome itself. Uh, you know, we got the
0: two men enter, one man leaves. Yeah.
1: That's. I mean, that is. Pure Mad Max. I mean, it's yeah. just it's just steeped in that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, Master Blaster, great character, yes. fantastic. Mm. You know, right up there with uh, Toe Cutter and uh, Immortan Joe and, yeah. and uh, they, Humongous. Uh, Humongous Lord Humongous.
4: Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah, they uh, they seemed like they really liked the Master Blaster character in Thunderdome, and they kind of inserted that a little bit into uh, into Fury Road as well because they had Rictus and then. Mm. His his little midget brother that was at the spy
2: scope, the spyglass. Corpus. Sp-
4: corpus and Rictus. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> rictus Erectus. Rictus Erectus. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you even remember Tina Turner's character's name? Uh, I, I can't. I'm, I'm not putting you on the spot. movie a few days
4: ago, and uh, I literally cannot remember.
2: But Master Blaster, you remember. Yeah, oh, yeah you yeah. know Master know. Blaster. But, I mean, they say
1: it like a half dozen times. Well, yeah. they probably say hers, too. Oh, Auntie. She was Auntie. Auntie? It, Auntie? it was Auntie. That's right, yeah. I was Mama,
2: but I, yeah, No, yeah. no. Auntie. Another thing yeah. I like about these movies, these set of movies, is you see the both uh, a regression and a progression of technology. Mm. Mm, yeah. in, in, you know, in... in Mad Max, you had not only an interceptor, for God's sakes, it was a V8 interceptor. And this is what kept Max on the police force. This was his payout, his bribe to come back and still be a cop. Mm -hmm. And then as you go towards into Road Warrior, you know, after the shortages happen, he has to go off-road. You see this more raggedy interceptor. So it's starting to decline. It was V8. Now it's got some modifications, but it's a little bit, you know, it's suffering for its wear and tear.
1: In the show notes, I will link to a video I watched last night of, uh, of the evolution of the Interceptor uh, through the movies as different parts were, were uh, taken off of it and new parts were put back onto it. There's this mechanic that goes through great detail of how they made the Interceptor off of the original, off of its original model and what they built up and then what they started tearing apart as, the, cool. as, the, as the movies uh, progressed and as that car fell apart.
2: Very nice. And then in Beyond Thunderdome, he's driving a cart and camels, so talk about a regression of technology, but then when you get to Fury Road, it's more of a progression they've got stability between the three towns so they're able to engineer their vehicles with them to a much finer level of um uh artisanship
1: yeah you see him really working on uh on his car after they blow it up at the beginning of the game the interceptor when they're rebuilding it and then of course that leads to the to the uh, final chase scene where he's you know hanging off the front of the of the war rig and blowing the gas into the into the uh uh, pipes and and uh, racing against his own car as yeah. it's been as it's been rebuilt once again.
4: I, I liked how uh, everybody seemed really sort of comfortable with that 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 style of warfare. You know, I mean, just uh, Furiosa's like second in command guy that was on the war rig was just like climbing from this point to that point, hopping around. You know, they've got one engine blowout, and the guy strings himself up the bottom of the rig, climbs up into the engine. You know, is working on the engine block in the middle of this car chase and everything, and. It just seems like people have really adapted to that lifestyle, to be able to even repair a V8 engine while you're... Black
1: Thumbs, as we know they're to be called. Uh, yeah. The mechanics of the Mad Max Fury Road universe. Yeah. The mechanical abilities that have kind of evolved over time to repair these vehicles and get them back on the road and uh, uh, up and running, including re-engineering things like the war rig to drop that plow into the uh, sand yeah. in order to put out the flames that were on on the front of it. it was, that was just brilliant. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: absolutely. The strategy and the tactics uh-huh. that they've developed like car combat, they had flares. Yeah. Come reinforce us, you know, and, and th- you were referring to the veteran that was crawling all over that place. Yeah. He, he, he was asking certain questions. They all seemed to me like they tied into a tactic or a strategy. Is it a diversion? Is it a, a ambush? Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: Also, one thing about the theme with a lot of the equipment in the films is it's like new, futuristic, uh, not prehistoric, but like futuristic old Mm -hmm. technology like you look at furioso's arm Mm -hmm. and it's like an engineering feat but it's made out of like just bits and bobs yeah and all the vehicles kind of represent that where it's like they've kind of progressed in an engineering evolution using the tools that they have but they're all just broken tools yeah (laughs) so yeah uh, but I'd like to bring up a point about the the practical effects that have been used in uh, Fury Road but also all of the Mad Max Mm -hmm. um, films and I think um, I know that you guys talked about it a little bit on the last episode um, but in an age where everything is just all cgi or you just you know put a cgi band-aid on anything that can't be fixed george miller really took it to the next level in trying to make this like as nitty gritty, realistic movie as possible, and um, I think it speaks volumes. Like I don't think anybody complained about there's too much dust on screen or anything like yeah, that. No, no. So.
1: There were some. There were some. Was some talk about the jitteriness of a few of the scenes that they looked a little bit cartoonish in their way by some critics. Um, but that and that had to do with the fact that. George Miller played with literally every single scene of this movie in terms of the uh, the time, the speed of it. Yeah. So he would slow things down if he felt that things were going by too quickly and detail was being missed and that kind of stuff, and then it would speed back up again uh, in ways that were a little bit uh, rubber-bandy feeling for some people to watch. To be- the, the physics felt a little bit off uh, because things would suddenly become too I actually, slow. I actually liked that. Oh, I think <laughs> it was great, um, When
4: When Max and Furiosa are fighting next to the the semi uh, mm-hmm. when he, you know, when he first gets to the, they met the frame rates a little bit faster in mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It's everything. It's just a little bit more spastic and stuff. And I just thought it added to the intensity of that fight. Agreed. Um, more than, I mean, I, I, I could see how that could be distracting, but if you look at it as, well, this was an intentional, this was added to the movie. It wasn't right. like this happened by accident. Right. So why is it in here? Yeah. And if you, if you look at it that way, I think there's, okay. I don't, it made it more interesting to watch. I think
2: it's a movie of details as well. I oh, just want right. to put that down at the, from, from the, uh, Nux's name down on the gas pedal, or it was the brake that I noticed. I thought the 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 pedal was actually named Nux. I didn't realize that that was the name of the character.
1: My favorite tiny detail is uh i don't know exactly how tiny tiny it is when you're talking about the central tenets of their little vehicle cult kind of thing that they got going there is when they're leaning out of the windows to Morton Joe and they've got their fingers crossed like this in the in this in the prayer uh, sign with the with the, the V8 it, that it makes a little V8 engine uh, in their hands oh i didn't even realize that yeah, yeah. the same same I sort of symbol that you see you know <laughs> tattooed or a uh, a uh, scarred into the chest you know the, yeah. the V8s everywhere
3: on this on Yeah the they they make it into almost a god Yeah. my yeah. favorite little detail as far as just like because
4: it's all practical and this is the uh, actual re- repurposed things that they built these cars with uh, my favorite little detail was just that furiosa's pedal in the war rig was one of those um foot scale things at the shoe yeah. stars yeah. to size it <laughs> yeah. properly yeah, yeah you know i just thought that was that made it like a really good big heavy pedal <laughs> yeah. you know which is exactly what the war rig needed exactly what it needed yeah
1: well okay so what i think we're going to do is we're going to take a break here when we come back i've got another game for you And then uh, we're going to uh, do a little bit of our own practical effects. We're going to build our own little cars and fight them off the table.
2: We'll be talking Warlands.
3: If you want to rule
0: Eternal, you have to have skill and bones.
1: Alright, we're back. I've got a little game for you guys to play and <laughs> this game we are calling Who Killed the World? And what I have done is I've gathered together a list of other post-apocalyptic movies and I've set in front of you a buzzer system. When you want to guess which movie I am re- I am reading the synopsis of, you will hit your button. And Sherbert, when you ring in, it will sound like this. Hey,
2: Das You lost a baby brother! Perfect
3: in every way.
1: Lauren, when you ring in, it'll sound like this. Perfect!
3: Perfect in every way!
1: And Kevin, when you ring in, it'll sound like this.
0: Mary Poppins, practically perfect in <laughs> every way. How did you know,
2: Brad? I thought <laughs> you were Alright. I just saw that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> hang on a minute.
1: Okay. Uh, let's begin. So here is your first one. It is 2293 A.D. A post-apocalyptic Earth is inhabited mostly by the Brutals, simple soil-tilling surf types, who are in turn overseen by. Perfect! The... Perfect, Incorrect. You're out. Damn it. Overseen by exterminators. These exterminators worship a huge flying hollow stone head that dispenses weaponry and ammunition by the truckload. One day, an exterminator named Zed gets swept up in the hollow stone head and finds himself under possession of the Eternals an elite class who long ago discovered the secret to immortality and removed themselves from all that penis-having to the rarefied heights. I actually know
2: this one.
3: I do too, but I can't remember the name of the... I have no idea.
2: Lauren, for the steal? Oh, give me a You can't steal, you already blew it. I blew it. That was perfect in every way.
1: (laughs) Starring Sean Connery. Yeah. Zardoz?
2: Zardoz, Zardoz.
4: The Oh, yeah. I was almost going to guess that <clears throat> one. I've heard that name, but I've never seen the movie. Weird ass
3: movie, <laughs> yes. let me tell you. Yes, it yes, is indeed.
2: Especially when they get to how you get Zardoz. Yeah. That, the explanation of that title is like, huh? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Are we ready?
1: Number two. The first film of this trilogy begins in what looks like the present day. The film's protagonist finds out that the world exists as an illusion over the world.
0: Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way.
1: That is not the correct answer. (laughs) Yes, Kevin. The Matrix? Yes, it is The Matrix. Yeah! One point for Kevin. Alright. Next one. This film was released in 1971 and directed by Boris Sagal. The film stars Charlton Heston as Robert Neville. Perfect! Perfect in every way! I am legend incorrect
0: <laughs> mary poppins practically perfect in every way
1: still wrong
2: <laughs> <laughs> omega man
1: that is correct
2: yeah. uh, point oh, that is some minutia that is weak <laughs> i got that right <laughs> <laughs> all right a post-apocalyptic science
1: fiction novel by american walter m miller jr miller seems to be a running <laughs> theme here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First published in 1960, considered one of the classics of science fiction, it has never been out of print and has seen over 25 reprints and editions. It won the 1961 Hugo Award for the best science fiction novel. Set in a Roman Catholic monastery in the desert of the southwestern United States after a devastating nuclear war, the story spans thousands of years as civilization rebuilds itself. The monks of the Albertian order of Leibowitz take up the mission of preserving the surviving remnants of man's scientific knowledge until the day the outside world is again ready for it. The novel has a three parts in different time periods and shows how the monastery and the world change over time.
3: Perfect! Perfect in every way!
1: Lauren. Dune. <laughs> nope. Anybody else want to take a shot at it? Stranger in a strange Land. I have the foggiest. A Canticle for Leibowitz. Oh,
2: yeah. Never no, heard of it. no. no. Well, Oh, man. Classic. That was close. Dune. Dune's pretty Yeah, close. that's
1: pretty classic too. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Next one. Here we go. Different ways the world has ended here. In 2008, 12 year old Quinn Abercrombie stumbles upon a sleeping dragon recently unearthed at a construction site in London. Said dragon then. Perfect
3: in every way.
2: Rain of fire. Yes. rain of Fire? That's yeah. correct. Rain mm, of Fire. I knew that. Like, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I can remember the title though. All right. Ready for this? Mm hmm.
1: In 2014, an acceleration of global warming prompts a desperate attempt to counteract it, the method of choice being the dispensing of chemical CW-7 into the skies to cool the atmosphere. Working all too well, the attempt sends... Mary
0: Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Still wrong.
1: (laughs) Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer is Uh, correct. All right, good job. I had you for that one for sure. I uh, thought you were going to
4: grab that uh, one. Yeah, I, know you're I, I saw the wheel turn and I had to get into it. I didn't even have the name of the movie yet when I hit the thing. I was like, this will
1: give me time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Next one. In the dystopian near future of this video game, a deadly plague known as the Gray Death has befallen mankind. The only known vaccine, Ambrosia, the distribution of which is tightly controlled by the Orwell. Perfect. Reaction.
2: Perfect in every way. What? The Last of Us. Incorrect. Perfect in
1: every way. Yes. (laughs) Bioshock? No. No. Kevin, this was wide open (laughs) for you. Um, The distribution of which is tightly controlled by Orwellian government agencies merely delays the inevitable. Terrorist groups are capitalizing on the increasing desperation of the common folk, and their increasing activity urges world governments to create the United Nations Anti-Terrorist Coalition, UNATCO. You follow J.C. Denton, a rookie elite Unatco operative who eventually becomes tangled in a conspiracy plot involving the Illuminati, Chupacabras, Greys, Black Helicopters, Genetic Design, Underground Labs, and Rogue AIs. I'm going to take a wild stab. I've
4: never played any of these games.
0: Mary Poppins, practically
4: perfect
1: <laughs> in every way.
4: Deus Ex? Oh. Deus Ex is the correct oh. answer, that's right. That crossed
1: through my head, but mm-hmm. no. Okay, we just got a couple more here killing you guys you are killing them a movie based on a novel of the same name by william f nolan and george clayton johnson depicting a future where everyone is young and healthy no one needs to work and people look forward to the chance for renewal presumably some sort of rebirth or reincarnation in the carousel at the age of 30 a privilege given to those who have obeyed the rules faithfully however there is a darker side to this apparent utopia no one has ever survived carousel Resource management and population control are simply maintained by mandating the death of everyone who reaches
4: the age of 30. Not ringing any bells.
1: People, come on, Logan's Run. Uh, no? I've heard of it. I've oh, heard
4: wow. of it. Yeah. All right. i didn't of uh, I didn't do enough research on this. I was just cramming the Mad Max movies in in the last That's week. That's
1: <laughs> No points awarded. There comes another. Sam Hell is a prisoner of the female faction who took over the U.S. after nuclear war. Mutants thrive in the wasteland while humans face possible extinction due to infertility. Bomb strapped to his crotch, Hell is forced to rescue a group of fertile women from a harem ran by an evil mutant gang, starring WWF star Rowdy Roddy Piper.
2: <laughs> I know this. I can't remember the title though. Uh, something about Frogtown Stumptown. It's like, oh my gosh
1: Are We talked about this. Partial all? credit. It is Hell Comes to Frog
2: Town. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wants Perfect. Perfect in every way! <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you. Okay. All right. A 1975
1: film based on the short story novella by Harlan Ellison is a look into the life of Vic and his telepathic dog, Blood, as they wander... Perfect. Perfect in
2: every way. What? A boy and his dog. That is correct. A boy nice. and his dog. Nice. The about. inch, oh, the shit. dog, wants to eat the female. He's catching up. Classic. All right.
1: I've got one more here. In the year 2065, an alien infestation has overrun Earth. The remaining humans live in barrier cities all over the world while trying to free their planet from the spectral alien beings, or phantoms, that devastate everything in their path. Dr. Aki Ross, alongside her old mentor Dr. Sid, hopes to unlock the secret behind these phantoms and find a way to destroy them without harming Earth.
0: Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way.
1: Is it
4: phantoms? incorrect <laughs> damn that's what I thought that didn't match I was like the is he just hanging footage. some blue oh. fruit here <laughs> i snatch
0: alright
1: but General Hine has plans to annihilate the phantoms using a huge space cannon regardless of the damage it can do to do the do you planet. know now? I think so but nobody else has got it?
4: what do you got? is that Final Fantasy Spirits Within? that is correct alright
2: that's been my
4: I haven't watched that movie oh, yeah. it's been a
3: long
4: time. ago. I a long time, <laughs> time ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I need to watch <laughs> that movie again. No. I remember, just... the, mind,
2: I, I remember <laughs> the effects being mind-blowing <laughs> at the time. At the time, yeah. yeah the that, time. Was some, that was some top-level I'm CG. curious to see how it did. I doubt it holds up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I thought it was bad. at the, I'm like, I appreciated it. I'm like, whoa, this looks like a really bad CGI movie.
1: Well, yeah. congratulations, Kevin. <laughs> again. On winning this round of What Killed the World. And in just a moment, we'll be back and we will talk about... Orleans
4: You're listening to Skill and Bones Radio
2: Damn son where'd you find this
4: After nagging me and all of our other fellow gamers for months and months about playing this game Warlands that Sherbert's gotten into, I finally, the week before the campaign, reluctantly agreed, only to have Sherbert ask me to step out because we had an odd number of people and resign as an alternate. Now there's an opening, Uh and he comes back, hat in hand, (laughs) 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 insisting that uh, I I join this campaign. So Sherbert...
3: What is Warlands, and why should I play it? So, Warlands is a game that was made by Aberrant Games, I think, four to five years ago? 2011. Yeah, 25 years years ago, yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, 2011, and it's a really good game because it captures vehicular combat and the movement aspects of that. Like, you feel like there's movement on the table, Mm -hmm. and that's something that a lot of games don't do you're kind of pushing models around and you, you have to imagine it in your own mind's eye, like what's actually happening on the battlefield. Mm. But Warlands, it, it's really good because it's very cinematic. There's rules for like, can I slam on the brakes, spin my car around and then run into a wall and kill other people with my explosion? Yes, you can. Yes, you there can. are <laughs> rules for that. Yes, you, can. Can, in fact, you
1: might not be able to avoid doing. So. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Sometimes <laughs> it's the only thing you can do. So that's, Really good. Unfortunately, Aberrant Games hasn't supported Warlands very well. They came out with a base rule book which is riddled with grammatical errors and weird inconsistencies where they put rules in certain spots. And it's they don't... really hard to find what you're looking for it in is, that book. Yeah. It 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 seems like a a first like like a beta almost. Mm-hmm. Um like this is what they handed. To the editors before it actually went to the printers. So um, it's
2: like a Games Workshop product. Exactly. <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> because aberrant hasn't supported the game in the last five years there's only a rule book there's no they 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 made these promises that every like year couple of years they would come out with supplement books for a campaign system for weather for other factions for new vehicles for more am- weapons so unfortunately they never came through with a campaign system which was i think their biggest failing so i Threw together a, a campaign system, and I did a lot of edits to the rules. And I honestly, shamelessly stole most of that from Gorkamorka. Who, mm. if any of you have never played Gorkamorka, it is by far my favorite tabletop game that I've ever ever encountered. Like, is that right? Yeah. Mm. W-
2: would you play? Teach me. I've never played it.
3: Yeah, it's so good. I like. There's only three books. I don't know how hard they are to find nowadays, but it's it's an amazing game. Yeah. You can find anything on the internet. You you can find anything on the internet. Uh, But Warlands is a really good game because unlike other car games like Car Wars, it's fairly easy to construct vehicles and you also get a lot of them on the table. Hmm. I'm going to call a little bullshit on a bit of that because Warlands
1: is not super simple to build vehicles for. I mean, I, I recently went back and picked up a copy of Car Wars. They did a Kickstarter to uh, re-release it. They're remaking it, actually, I think, mm-hmm. as part of the uh, rewards from the Ogre Kickstarter that Steve Jackson Games did uh, a couple of years ago now, geez. And one of the side products that they made was this Car Wars Arena, which is just a reboxed uh, version of the original with a whole bunch of extra maps uh, on there to play some Car Wars. And we busted it out a little while ago and played Car Wars with uh, Eli and I played with Russ and Keisha. And it was not that difficult to build cars in Car Wars, but that system has got a lot more options for building cars mm-hmm. than Warlands does. And Warlands, it's really obtuse in the way that it presents how these cars fit together and so it's it's really difficult to, to make a war band when, when you
3: don't really know how things are going to play out on the table. It's it's kind of a
1: difficult game to pick up from
2: scratch. Let's yeah. say
3: that it is a little clunky and time consuming to create lists, but I don't know if it's extremely difficult. It's just tedious. It is. Yeah, it is tedious. Sounds yeah. like they uh,
4: they captured the idea of putting together a post apocalyptic vehicle perfectly. Be <laughs> <laughs> a little rickety, not as intuitive as you might like, but with yeah. enough uh, elbow grease and duct tape, you can make it work. Yeah. Yeah, basically strap more metal over it. Right.
1: Um, uh, we should talk about, I mean, how the game really works, though. Sure. Um, so a- after you get your warband mm-hmm. put together, once you finally figure that, you sort of sort your way through it, and you've paid Weeks for your later. yeah, yeah. you've <laughs> paid for your driver, you figured your points out, and, and we play a different points value than what the game can scale up to. Mm-hmm. We're playing on a, a smaller. Uh, scale right now 200 points or so uh, vehicles out there
3: and what does that really buy you first of all what how many how many models are we putting on the table it really depends i mean you can do uh there's a couple people in the campaign that are really going for an elite type of force where they only have four or five vehicles and then you can really just get some rickshaws together throw a m- machine gun on it and just hope for the best I and then you're looking really for like... really want a literal rickshaw
2: quick question um what seems to be one of the more popular car builds right now within the campaign
3: People really like the Dune Destroyer, which I had never really played with, Mm -hmm. but it's just a a large... Souped um, up, open top buggy. Dune buggy, yeah. (laughs) Like, it it sounds like the name pretty much describes what it is, but it's really fast, it's hard to hit. The game does have mechanics for open-topped vehicles, Mm -hmm. so if you get hit with a blast weapon and your open-topped crew gets hit, yeah, and they get blown off, like... I uh, think
1: that... I mean, we're only two weeks into this campaign thus far, we're going into our third game here mm -hmm. uh, on Tuesday... And uh, I think that the discovery of blast weapons versus yeah. dune buggies was it's... really well cemented in this last week's play. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I think people are going to be tinkering with their lists a little bit to uh, protect their dudes. Yeah. Now,
4: I, as, as I haven't played this game at all, I kind of want to back up a little bit. Uh, what models are we even using to play
3: this game? Uh, yeah. yeah, that's a good question. So Aberrant Games has some... Models that they created just for the game, okay. and I think this is maybe one of the reasons that Aberrant Games stopped supporting mm. Warlands Is because it's really hard to sell models when you can just go buy Hot Wheels mm. And then you just glue crap on Hot Wheels cars yeah. and fraction paint them. The yeah, for a, literally a fraction of the price It is like 50 cents to go buy a Hot Wheels car while Aberrant models are like maybe five to ten dollars a vehicle
2: Mm-hmm from what I've heard from the people trying to build the cars for mm-hmm. the campaign, Aberrant maybe should have went with the bonus parts, like try to do the guns and stuff like they that. They do
3: have a little bit of that, but uh-huh. they definitely didn't embrace it nearly as much as they should have. Yeah. And there's other game companies that have. Ramshackle Games has realized that with Fury Road, there's been a reemergence of people who want to play tabletop, car, post-apocalyptic games. And so they've come out with 20 millimeter crew motorcycles and vehicle upgrade games pieces. And I have the motorcycles. They're great. Mm. Um, there aren't a ton of motorcycles out there they're at are, scale. And they're really expensive, the yeah. ones that are. Bramshackle is the only affordable motorcycles, and they're made out of resin instead of metal, um. so they're they're just one-piece models. They're, you don't have to put them together. You just paint them. Yeah. So that's really nice. And then when I did order the motorcycle, he, for some reason, included some of the new vehicle upgrade crew nice. for free, which was awesome. And I've been trying to tell everybody that I can that all of those are fantastic. Gosh. So if you are interested in getting into 20 millimeter sized car games, I would very much recommend Ramshackle Games to get your Hot Wheels cars mm-hmm. up to par. That said, it is kind of fun to tear Hot Wheels cars It apart. is, yeah. And yeah. there's a surprisingly large population of... People who just mod Hot Wheels cars. They don't do anything. They don't paint them. They just take them apart, and then they put, like, different wheels on them, and they put them back in the packaging and put them on their wall. I had no idea. Who Uh, are these people? Exactly, yeah. But there's there's a lot of, like, how-to videos on YouTube to, like, take the cars apart, to drill into the rivets, and it makes it really easy... That um,
1: actually is one of the biggest pains drilling through those rivets to, yeah. get, to get the uh, bottom half of the cars. So we're talking about drilling through some pretty solid
3: metal to, yeah. to take these cars get apart. Your,
2: the wall out. Yeah. 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 I use
3: a Dremel and it makes it a little bit easier, but it can be messy yeah. sometimes. Yeah, I, I was hand cranking the entire time. Oh, took, dang. Yeah, with yeah. that old Citadel drill. Kudos to you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's better yeah. ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that is a good question. Uh, 20 millimeter, Hot Wheel size, Matchbox. Just go to like a local toy store. Store, like a used toy store we have one in our local <laughs> shop called finders keepers where you could buy a bag of like 50 cars for like 20 bucks 20 bucks yeah. 15 yeah. 20 bucks and so
1: three of three or four of us ran out there and bought these giant bags yeah. of cars and now we have an oversized surplus of random hot wheels cars and yeah. houses. that
2: that sounds like a really good junkyard yeah. yeah
3: yeah oh that's a yeah that's not a bad point yeah yeah, yeah. so it's really easy to like Honestly like I find the hobby aspect, the yeah. actual building and converting aspect of any tabletop game the most fun. It was m- for rewarding. myself yeah. and modding Hot Wheels cars has definitely taken me back to my childhood like I hadn't realized how how gleeful I was like mulling through and pawing through a big bag of cars like oh look at this one this <laughs> one's sweet like this a <laughs> big truck yeah and so like that was that was kind of cool because it was like flashback 15 years to being a little kid but also it's just really really easy and quick to convert and paint these up hmm. so you don't get bogged down in this like ludicrously long hobby project like creating a warhammer fantasy army or yeah. 40k army yeah. from scratch it's like i need 10 cars I can put some time into it trying some some new techniques that I've never tried before. I started using for the painting process weathering powders uh-huh. nice. um, to get them really dusty looking. Hadn't really experimented with them that much and it works great. So cool. Yeah, how many cars did you end up putting together? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it and I somewhere have, in the neighborhood of 30 cars I, so, no, right? no, 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 Oh, you've got, <laughs> those I've are got just the ones you carry around. No, I've got like upwards of like 50 or 60 and I done? haven't stopped. Yeah, like completely done. You're still doing it? And I, yeah, I took a, I, so I just finished building a, uh, a war rig model that's going to be used in the final, uh, oh. final week of the camp campaign and it took me so long to get that built and painted that I wanted to take like a side break before I started working on the crew because I haven't finished the crew I just finished the rig and so I went back to like
2: folks at home do you hear the level of detail you might not be able to see the models but you can hear the level of detail that Aaron goes through to make these things Again, wonderful models. He when can we put pictures work? of this war rig up? Uh, right. I
3: have some pictures up in various places. I can send some to you so that you can throw them up on okay. our right. website. We'll throw them up on uh, skillandbonesradio.com. Yeah.
2: .com. I have a qu- another question for you. Um, sure. What builds would you like to see people use? Was there something you'd hoped that would come out of this that you haven't seen yet?
3: No, I think that's something that's really nice about Warlands is people can do pretty much whatever they want and to kind of guide it a little bit is, an- another failing of the basic rule book is there's only one mission oh, and it's yeah. not a very good mission. It's <laughs> a pretty bad mission. So I, not only have I like had to create a campaign system, but I've had to create a mission for each week. it wow, is so a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Um, and I, I, the planning is every time a Mad Max movie comes out in the future is to follow the release of a movie with another Warlands campaign. Oh, cool. So hopefully it'll be less work in the future because I'll already have all this stockpiled. Uh, information. The rest of us
1: will have masses of Hot Wheel cars in our yeah.
3: closets and right. boxes. Yeah, get brought out once a year or something like that. But I'm uh, down Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It seems to generate a lot of interest. And you know, as Kevin started this little conversation, now I had to turn people away because we had too many. Well, people. just Kevin. Just Kevin. Yeah yeah. just Kevin. yeah, yeah,
4: People might be a strong word there.
3: Yeah, I don't deserve Person. Part of it, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, okay, so once you actually get all of your models painted up and you've got your list built and we put them on the table, and then what happens? I mean, what how is
3: this game how does this game work? I mean, sure. yeah. So you have your army list is basically a template of each one of your vehicles with all its stats and stuff like that and so the vehicles in game there's four different speeds and vehicles that are moving at a faster speed get to go before other vehicles so there's fast cruising slow and stationary the slower you're moving the easier you are to hit you have less or more turns depending on what the chassis is yeah so there's um, a there's kind
1: of a it's it's almost
3: like a naval game mechanic in here where you got know, yeah
1: you yeah. have your compulsory movement for each vehicle they have to move a certain number of inches mm-hmm. before they can make a turn and move in a different direction uh, okay. and then they uh, have to move that same compulsory movement again before they can make a second turn same compulsory movement before they can make a third turn and depending on the type of car that you're using you may be limited in the number of turns you can make per turn or uh, per, okay. per phase and then the type of engine that you have determines okay. the total number of inches that you can move at whatever speed your uh, car is moving so you set you say you set your car to speed fast right yeah. that that means that with the particular engine type you may be moving somewhere between 11 to 15 inches uh, okay. okay and then the number of turns that you can make during that 11 to 15 inches is determined by the chassis of the car that you've got and whether or not you're actually going to be able to make those turns is often determined by the tires that you buy for the car. Yeah, and what what
4: surface you're driving on top mm-hmm. of as mm-hmm. well. So how do you change speed? Are there like action points or something like that? At, at the end of the turn, you can choose to accelerate or decelerate your car. Uh, or, by one
1: level. Yeah, by one level, so you can start to slow down. Or you can pull a special maneuver and throw on the e-brake and and slam on the brakes, assuming that your driver can make his control check and 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 not suddenly spin out of control. Yeah. Which happens a a lot. lot. (laughs) Good. There's a good sense of pace, a good sense of speed, and the light level of control that there is in this game tends to see cars... Like we said, spinning out of control on a not infrequent basis, Mm -hmm. um, which really gives you a out of control feel. I mean, it really gives a a tense feel to every little action that you're going to take. And you have to really line up and make sure that you're making your turns to sort of chicane around any obstacles in front of you, uh, that you're on the right surface when you do so. You want to be on a road or something that that your tires can handle. Otherwise, it's much more difficult for you to actually pull off these maneuvers. You want to make sure that if you're going to ram into something, that you hit them with the correct speed and correct uh, bearings so that you have the best results. Uh, Collisions in this game are in the same way that they're in in video games and in movies. Uh, They are the real killer. You know, I mean, the guns, the guns are great and all shooting everybody up. But when it gets down to it, if you want to throw the most dice, you ram into somebody with a giant prow on the front of your vehicle and you just pound them,
3: you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whenever you can actually pull off a, a, an intricate maneuver, there's usually a lot of uh, cheering and high-fiving that takes place afterwards <laughs> by <laughs> both players. <laughs> it's definitely one of those games that it's so cinematic that even if you're just getting wrecked, you can just sit there and enjoy like the image you know that what it this is? game is creating.
1: You know what it is? It's the fact that even when you get wrecked, and sometimes especially when you get wrecked, you have the opportunity to explode in a very violent fireball that could potentially take out everybody around you, Mm -hmm. and given that so much damage is being done by that direct contact, you're pretty well guaranteed to have somebody right up next to you that you might take out with you. And so Either
3: that, there's also a mechanic when a vehicle becomes a wreck um, after it's been destroyed that it will randomly veer off course (laughs) because the driver (laughs) dies on the steering wheel or something like that, and there's been so many, like, revenge vengeance rams that have oh, happened yeah. in this oh, campaign yeah. where somebody will <laughs> drive up, try and get point blank shoot a vehicle and of course it's like a big magnet, it'll just suck right into the other vehicle and they'll both explode <laughs> Yeah. so yeah. good
1: So cars activate in turns at the speed that they're going. So fast cars activate first, and then the cruising speed cars go, and then the slow driving cars go, and
3: then any stationary stationary cars Yeah,
1: Uh, Somewhere in there, there's also pedestrians moving. Before slow. Before slow.
3: Yeah, pedestrians can move between cruising and slow and that's another good thing about this game is that a lot of car combat games don't have pedestrians in them mm. and there's not rules in the base game for jumping from one vehicle to another but there are rules for jumping into a vehicle and if you roll like snake eyes the vehicle explodes because it's a reference to Mad Max having the bomb under the interceptor. yeah the bomb under the mm. interceptor and stuff like that But there's combat in between pedestrian models and you can use them for missions to drop them off and they have to go sabotage a base or something like that, jump back in the cars and drive off so yeah if let's say you get a lucky shot off and and take out the driver of a
1: one of your opposing vehicles you could then drop off one of your own pedestrians he can jump in the enemy's Mm -hmm. vehicle and
3: drive it around the table and yeah Yeah. stuff. yeah so that's 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 a lot of fun yeah Yeah. Yeah. and in the in the campaign there were rules that were created for jumping from vehicle to vehicle and vehicle car combats perfect uh so (laughs) there's big fights that take place on the back of a car as the driver is frantically trying to shake them off Mm -hmm. or just try and get into an area of the table where they can get some help I had for example last week I had a buggy that was hit with a rocket launcher and all the crew died and I had to drive up along this buggy that was going out of control, and have my own crew jump back onto nice. it to try and take control of it, nice. only nice. to have it hit by another rocket launcher, and all those crew <laughs> die, so... Yeah, you gotta solve the rocket launcher
4: problem first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. I think we're gonna be starting to see a few more closed cabs in this game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Less less dune buggies and dune destroyers, and maybe a little more trucks and cruisers. Cruisers, yeah. Yeah, and a beast or two. And
1: that sounds good to, to really close off, because the, the cruisers are, are pretty amazing vehicles. Yeah high armor and high capacity and yep. uh, <clears throat> hard to kill. But Just compared low. to the... Well, no, they're fast. They can they're be fast really, depending yeah, on fast. T- the size of the engine that you put oh. into them because that's a, that's a different... Uh, they're expensive. Uh, okay. They are expensive. You. <laughs> I'm looking for the balance. What they, yeah. The balance on them is the maneuverability because they oh. have to move three inches every turn before they can make a turn. And so trying to wheel one of those things around in order to get proper alignment to ram into somebody or to, or to bring mm-hmm. your guns to bear on somebody is difficult. It's not easy with a cruiser. But buggies... Are. I mean those things are fast and maneuverable
3: and they can really whip around and Very um, zippy. yeah deliver some damage Another big thing is certain chassis can only take certain tires And mm-hmm. so all of the car chassis can't take the off-road tires I that see. you need to maneuver around the majority of the table mm-hmm. Yeah, and we tried to fix that a little bit by introducing some new tires to make it not completely so one-sided towards buggies so you can uh, a car can travel it fast Um, But every time it needs to make a turn, you have to make a skill check. Mm -hmm. And so it's a big liability because, like, I might need to, you know, book it over to the other side of the table, but now I have to drive around wrecks and stuff like that, which means I can go out of control and become a wreck. We should say that there are... Uh,
1: that when you go out of control, you have to then consult one of two incredibly important charts in this game, the ones that you'll be most frequently doing, which is the out-of-control table. And the out-of-control table can send you, uh, you know, just a slightly veering off in a new direction, which can actually be advantageous sometimes to go out of control. And, you know, when you're about to run into somebody, you could uh, potentially throw yourself off to the side and dodge out of the way by going out of control. But at the same time, you could be spinning out of control and bouncing off of two or three different things mm-hmm. uh, if, you, if you roll wrong. The other of the tables is the catastrophic damage table. Both of these tables are in completely different places in the rulebook and you yeah. have to really like search them out and I highly recommend having a quick reference sheet yeah. uh, when you go to play this game and actually I'll, I'll link a PDF in the show notes to play Warlands. But the catastrophic damage table is where your car catches on fire, your axles get shredded, your your tires get shredded, your axles bust, your driver gets shot, uh, Mm. your weapons are destroyed. There's uh, ten options. Or you just simply explode. And that's kind of uh, comparing this game to Car Wars, the experience of Car Wars. Those vehicles tended to be a lot more chewing through the armor to get to the meat inside. Oh, okay. Uh, and Warlance has got kind of like the the critical effects right. uh, of Infinity, you know, where anybody can be brought low by a single shot as long yeah. as you're rolling sixes right. uh, and then rolling the right number on the catastrophic damage table. So there's you could build the biggest monster truck that you uh, want, yeah. armor it to the teeth, and somebody could still potentially plink you with by rolling a six, rolling a yeah. four, rolling a one. You know, I mean, it's like... It, it's not unheard of to just eliminate and and of course if you do kill the driver in that method then you can run over and jump in your shiny new monster truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: if you get if you sustain some sort of damage is there anything you can do to repair it in game or No. There kind is
1: of. um if you catch on fire there are fire extinguisher systems that you can put in there to to put out fires and thus repair that but not really I I don't think that there's anything that no. there's no monkeying
4: around underneath the V8 and uh, getting that kicking that back to life. No. That would That's be kind nice. of a kind of a,
1: a fun addition though it's kind of like the grot riggers you know yeah yeah yeah
3: it would just it it would be one more thing to manage in a game where there's a lot to manage already in in future times when i do uh, another warlands campaign i'm gonna gut the core rulebook and try and streamline it as much as possible because there's a lot of random little things that you have to keep track of like each vehicle has a certain amount of structure points, and certain items take up structure points, and then you can, depending on what item it is, put it in certain spots. Like a roof-mounted gun is different from a hood-mounted gun, which is different from a side-hood-mounted gun, which is different from a back-mounted hood-mounted gun. And that might not be completely necessary for them. All. Yeah, it's not that important. <laughs> yeah.
1: A lot of the actual firing that goes on is... Just from people sitting in the passenger seat of the car, yeah, uh, I've i found a lot more effect just from just from dudes with guns that can that then I have the opportunity to get out, run around, and uh, take aimed shots at cars. So like if you if pedestrians have the ability to to Specifically, take called shots at the drivers. Whereas, in the when, when you're driving a car, you don't have that same right, option. Yeah. So it's pray kind and of pray. and there is a there is actually a mechanic for spray and pray as well for uh, drilling down. I think it was. For, yeah,
3: if you have a small arms gun that has a fully automatic option. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can yeah. run out of ammo if you roll doubles. And there's a ton of these things in there. Yeah. And
1: they're spread out all throughout this rulebook. Yeah. And it's really hard to track them down. So if you're the rules lawyer type, it's kind of fun to uh, get in and find something in there that might give you some advantage in your next game to be able to say, oh, no, no, there's actually this little rule in here that works... One, one of those was the initiative mechanic mm. in this thing, which, uh, which I found that was at the beginning of the turn, you have to make a contested roll to see who's going to activate first, right? Okay. And then, like we said, the cars activate in speed order, so the fast cars have to go first. If you win your initiative roll against the other guy, though, you can either choose to go first or you can t- tell the other guy to go first, and you can specifically select which of his models goes first, so if you've got something lined up where you were, you were really hoping to maybe skirt around another car or let's say that he's got two cars that are in line driving front to back, you could say, no, why don't you activate that back car first? And it will <laughs> run into the car in front of it unless he pulls some sort of e-brake maneuver or something like that. Casey did that to me in our game this last week. Yeah. And uh, I, I knew it was going to happen when the second that he won that initiative roll and this smile broke across his face. I'm like, oh, I'm lined up over there. And he pointed at that one and said, Yep, that one's going first. And I had to I had to jam on the brakes and spun out of control and had to get you know, I lost my entire uh, plan yeah, uh, that yeah. I had kind of laid out to begin with because yeah. I was not cautious about how I lined up my cars.
2: Yeah. Dirty dirty. It is. It yeah. is. Good play, good play. It's, it's, it's a good play. It's <laughs> it was
1: it was a smart thing. So you really gotta pay attention to the positioning
3: of your of your vehicles. And that's one thing that's also nice about the Warlands game is it has a lot of this kooky cinematic feeling where there's a sense of randomness but with the vehicle activation and the speeds that they're moving at there's also like a large tactical presence in the game where it's not just like oh let's beer and pretzel push models around laugh a lot cheers or glasses and then go home there's there can be a lot of nitty-gritty planning where you have to take into consideration This vehicle's moving at the speed. If it rams me and it hasn't activated yet, all of a sudden it's going to activate way later in the turn.
1: Yeah. The
3: tactical part of the game can be overpowered
1: by the randomness of it, though. Yeah. It really can. I mean, there is a lot of stuff that can go wrong in there. And those tables that I was talking about, the out of control and and the critical effects table, they can really take the wind out of your sails and just throw your plan out the window in a very quick order. And I can see that being frustrating. So like any of the other games I play, really, I do look at it as more of a beer and pretzels and
3: try not to get too it bogged is. down in the tactical because your plan can go awry really quickly. Yeah. And for the people that love tournament games, this is not a tournament game no, at no, all. No. It, it serves as a really good like short base narrative or a campaign game. But other than that, I wouldn't push it to be a tournament game.
2: But that lends itself, like you're saying, there's a cinematicness to it. Yeah. Which lends itself to a campaign. You know, mm-hmm. remember Toe Cutter? He got killed in the first action. He had to ram into the back of that truck and he got blown to shit. Yeah. Know? And like anything we saw, and I know it's not a car combat movie, but in Mad Max, there's a definite element of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some random crazy stuff getting blown up all the place.
1: The campaign, as you've got it envisioned, is a
4: six week demo derby.
1: Demo <laughs> adventure. Adventure. adventure, yeah, sure. Uh, how how have you got this kind of laid out? How what was your process in planning these missions out? You've got a narrative going to the whole thing. Do. we've got warbands that are in a brand new world after what was it a dust storm or, or uh, there was an earthquake, earthquake that opened that was, up that's right, that's the right, mountain right. range? That's right. And so everybody's kind of found themselves in a new place. We've gone out, we've scavenged, we've we've gone out we've kidnapped a whole bunch of locals trying to recruit a new crew and to, and to get information about the place where we are. Mm-hmm. This week we're going in and, and uh, raiding storehouses of goods to really build up our warbands. Mm-hmm. How far in advance have you got this thing figured out?
3: So the narrative for the game, um, I had to figure out pretty much before the game even started. And each player is controlling a, a new warband. There are... Warbands that are already in this new territory and they control the really chrome gear like the war rig And yeah. so in the last week these these kind of new destitute warbands that were able to drag themselves into this territory are trying to build up their warbands for the eventual usurpation of the original inhabitants and so in the last week I will have Lauren come in and he will control Uh, The war rig is every player brings on their war band in this giant... We're all going at him? You're all going at him at once. Yeah, it'll be this huge... We're probably going to have to move the final week to a Saturday instead of a a Tuesday. Oh, okay. And it'll be like a whole day process. We could try and shove it in on our normal game night, but... It's going to be a huge mega battle style, beat the crap out of everybody and Lauren. and Lauren's going to try and fight off everybody that he can, and if you can get control of the war rig in the last mission, then you will win the campaign. Furiosa. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I was
4: thinking it'd be cool to have a, a mission to kind of simulate that chase in Fury Road where... You have the war rig is kind of the central piece. It doesn't actually move on that, the table.
3: That's isn't? actually going to be the rule. So oh, it, really? Yeah, so this is one of the parts where I shamelessly stole from Gorkamorka. Gorkamorka has a, a mission called Da Chase, where there's two vehicles, one of them is chasing the other, and you set them up in the middle of the table, and the vehicles are assumed to be moving at a certain speed. Mm. And all of the terrain at the end of every turn is moved back at that same speed. Nice. So new terrain is put on the table and you have to drive around yes, it. That's and if, you're, hilarious. if your vehicle, like the engine gets broken, you will eventually move off the back of the table because you can't maintain the right speed and you can hit your thrusters and try and push ahead of vehicles. So I yes. took those rules and made some small addendums to, to the Warlands rules and i just called it the endless road and so this week will be a kind of smash and grab next week will be a retribution like one warband is trying to catch up to the other warband on the endless road and get their gear back and then the final mission will also be using the endless road rules. so we'll slam two six by four tables together the war rig will start out in the center of those two six by four tables and then all of the warbands will start out at the back um, oh, uh, um, okay. All so right. they'll, they'll start out about six feet away and then they'll just have to try and claw over each other to get up to the war rig as the war rig is trying to hurdle itself off the end other end of the table that sounds fantastic yeah, so I'm looking forward to it, hopefully it'll work it's going to be seven people moving models around at once so it might get a little clustered, but we'll see I'll do everything in my power to clear that board out yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> And eventually, I, I, after this campaign, we, I can give those rules to Skill and Bones and you guys can post them up so that other people can benefit from this. Because it would definitely be frustrating for somebody to hear out all these good things about mm-hmm. Warlands and then go in and see how messed up the base book is. Because one thing that we haven't talked about is when you construct your vehicle, they have ready-made vehicles mm-hmm. that are in the base Warlands rules. Including
1: it, the Mad Max Interceptor. With dog. Yeah,
3: with dog. (laughs) Dog. Loner and dog in the Interceptor, yeah. So you can pay for these ready-made constructed vehicles. However, and this is a big however, they're using different rules for those vehicles because they work on to be like half as expensive as if you created those vehicles from the parts in the basic Is it garage. really that big of a difference? It's I, the the shears. motorcycles, they're like three times as expensive to make a motorcycle with wow. the exact same gear as the one that you buy ready made. So I had to make tons and tons of changes to the base rules so that vehicles aren't ludicrously overpriced. Oh
2: okay. So, it sounds like this needs like a base level balancing where you balance. It does, yeah, significantly so. Wow. Yeah. Amazing.
1: All right, well, thank you for setting up this campaign, and thank you for running it. And I know having run campaigns before, it takes a lot of work to uh, really get this stuff organized, and especially when the rules don't actually exist to begin with uh, for these missions. I know it's uh, a lot of work to put them together, so thanks for doing that. And thank you for coming out here and talking to us today. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for having me. Thanks, Eric. Uh, We're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we'll close out the show. (laughs) Thank you guys for coming out here and recording today. Thank you, Shiver, for, for uh, coming out and explaining this uh, campaign to us. Yeah, thanks for uh, having talking me. Talking Warlands with us mm-hmm. and talking Mad Max with us. That was a good time. I also want to say thank you for what you bring to the
2: hobby. I know that's mm-hmm. getting a little bit Careberry, but I think that uh, having you in our community is, has been a, an amazing asset. I think you've uh, inspired a lot of people. Thank you. Hopefully Let's... I can stay around for another couple of years. That'd be awesome. Man. Especially yeah. for this thing. I mean, building these cars is fun.
3: Yeah,
1: it is fun. <laughs> Well, taking us out today we have Insane Ian and Fury Road.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls,
3: dying times here.